Oh, yes. Hello, everybody. 6.56 p.m. on the East Coast, getting started a tad bit early because I have a lot of things I want to do before we bring our guest on tonight. I want to do a little something special, a look back through time. A lot of looking back through time over the weekend, especially with um, the September 11th, 21st anniversary. But I wanted to talk to Jason Burmis and bring him back on quickly. He was just here like two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Anyway, I asked him ahead of time, would you come on September 12th to talk a little bit about going back to first edition of Loose Change? A little bit of the behind the scenes, a little bit of, you know, how theories evolved over time as we grow older and we debate, we find more information and we get more reasonable answers to questions that seemingly didn't have any. I don't know. There's a lot there. So I just wanted to talk to Jason for a whatever time is necessary to just kind of talk about the subject matter and be in it from a, a different standpoint. Uh, I think that should be a good one. Uh, but until uh, in the second half, though, I think we should have some time for that wonderful thread about censorship that Glenn Greenwald put out now a week and a half ago, and I haven't been able to get to. But I haven't been able to get to it because the show's been so damn good. The broadcasts have been so solidly packed with goodness, and I hope that you've been all enjoying yourselves. And the last couple of episodes, especially that banger of an episode on Saturday night, with Andrew Bashago, if you have not listened to that, wait for a late night and just vibe out with it. It it was great, and I cannot wait to. I already spoke to him. I called him up again to thank him, and I told him that I would get in touch with him over the next couple of weeks to get him on the schedule for another Saturday night in November, because we got a lot of things to do in uh, in October. But November, he already said he's ready to go, and I can't wait to do some follow-ups with him. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be an episode that is largely going to be off of YouTube. So we're on right now. We're going to do the the pre-show on here, the grab bag. And then when we cut to the intro, we're dropping YouTube and we're going off to primarily, quite frankly, .tv, where Foxhole has done so many new updates and additions and nips and tucks. They're always working on making it a platform that is ready to compete with everybody. And the independence there is just second to none, so I feel great about that. But uh, Rumble is having an explosive year of growth, and I'm glad that we have been there for at least a year and a half now. So get on over there if you are you prefer YouTube and the functionality of YouTube. It's the closest thing to it. Get over there and just subscribe because there'll probably be a day where that is the closest thing to YouTube that you can be able to get this show on anyway. So. That's what you have. You have the next 15 minutes to make arrangements to hop off to another location on the internet, which is a lot easier than walking. Let me tell you, it's a lot easier than me telling you you have to get in your car and drive somewhere. It's another window in your browser. So I know that we're going to have zero attrition rate here. Everybody's going to follow us over and nothing's going to be that bad. It's not going to be a bad thing. So I, I thank you all. Thank you to my sponsors tonight. That is SecretNatureCBD.com. So when you're watching and listening, I hope you're chilling with some 
Secret Nature CBD and keep it in your medicine cabinet. I'm, I tell you, especially on nights where if I have a little bit of a hard time sleeping or uh, anything like that, I will, I'll leave bed and I will go get myself a little bit of a Delta, uh, Delta 8 pre-roll and I'll take a couple of drags off of that and I will feel perfectly content and ready to, to, to hit the mattress all right. That's just one way I... I use it around uh, around the house. There's tinctures, there's oils, there's anything else you may need. So I hope you go check out secretnaturecbd.com. And I'm looking for a day to have Tyler from Secret Nature come on to do a cannabis cultivation night. Big time stuff. Just around the world. It's, uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff to consider, these topics. All right. Now we go on into... The grab bag. Oh, one last thing. The September Aurora turning two years old postcard special like we did last year. It is ending on Wednesday. Tomorrow is my last show before Wednesday. Take Wednesday off because it's Aurora's birthday. But Wednesday, all throughout Wednesday, you can leave a super chat off air. and uh, Or no, I'm sorry, a PayPal. Because with PayPal, you can leave your... your uh, I prefer you guys leave your address in the notes there on PayPal. And that's it. That's the cutoff. That's the cutoff for the postcards. So we already have dozens in. Can't wait to get them out. We ordered a hundred postcards with the with this this cute little picture of me and Aurora in the in the uh, the aquarium where she's she's uh, I'm holding her and she's got her hand her hands on my mouth, and uh, it's almost like shut up, Dad. I like it. So anyway, that's what's going on. Include your mailing address, and that's almost done with. All right. Tomorrow, I think we got Frank Pellegrino and Chrissy Mayer in studio. Just chilling. I have some topics I think I can get around with with them. I think they'll enjoy it. A little bit more about the ridiculousness of metrics, and it ties into dead internet theory. So that that's what we'll do tomorrow by hook or by crook. And for now, let's go into our grab bag. First one up is from World. It's from the world. Now, where is this? This is, uh, what is this? I forget. I fear Gulf News. Gulf News. Slim lead for Sweden's left block as far right surges, exit polls say. This is a little bit, this was yesterday this was published. Since then, the, I guess the right in Sweden has made even more gains than that. I think they actually have a, a slight lead. And I think it's a, it's, it's a great barometer here. I wanted to keep on top of this stuff. Stockholm, two exit polls gave Sweden's left-wing bloc, led by Socialist Democrat Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, a slim lead in Sunday's general election and also indicated a far-right surge. The four left-wing parties were credited with 50.6% of the vote. Uh, a voter support and an exit poll published on TV4 compared to 48% for the four parties on the right. A second exit poll on public broadcasting, SVT, gave the left 49.8 and the right 49.2. I think that there has been a edge to the right now. Now, what does that mean? Is it as scary as they make it seem to be far this? It's the left and the far the right. Well, it's nonsense. It's just a, it's just Democrats wherever they have. They call themselves Democrats because it sounds democratic. Wherever they burrowed themselves, 
they are the only thing that is appropriate for society to be saddled with, and that doesn't matter. And Italy's next. I don't know where... Now, we may be jaded by recent election shenanigans. We may be jaded by a lot of things, but... And, and, and for the most part, it's hard to tell what's real anymore. But there is no shortage of evidence, and this is what I think this, is, it, this represents mainly for me, no shortage of evidence that the average people around the world are fed up with the rape of their homes, of their home countries, of their cultures. They're fed up with it. And in Sweden's situation, it's, it's actually literal rape. So there's that. So we'll see what Italy, Italy I think is next week. Very interesting leading up to November 8th. Because remember all those indicators on the international level, like Brexit in June of 2016, a preview to what uh, November 2016 was all about. All of that sentiment is still there. Nothing has gotten better. It's just that the layers and layers of diversion and, and, and veiled shit has been just slapped all over people. They have to, just more layers of veiling, veiling, veiling. Western Journal, Trump reveals why he's in D.C. There is a lot of arrest speculation this morning because Donald Trump arrived in Washington, D.C., seemingly still wearing golf clothes and nobody knew what was happening there. Some people wanted it to be arrest. Other people wanted it to be something not arrest. <laughs> but this is the Western Journal. It says he's in uh, why he's in the D.C., Speculation ran rampant when former President Donald Trump made an unannounced appearance in a Washington area on Sunday. He had visited D.C. just once since leaving the office. Now, thanks to a social media post from a former president, we know exactly why he arrived. Freelance journalist and YouTuber Andrew Layden, known as Penguin Six, broke the news Sunday evening before it was picked up by numerous additional reporters and outlets. Much of the speculation, what did he say? Working today at Trump, Washington, D.C. on the Potomac River, what an incredible place he wrote on his Truth Social. So he just came to the area to play golf and work at Trump, D.C. Indeed, the former president owns an award-winning golf course, the Trump National Golf Course, Washington, D.C., in Potomac Falls, Virginia. There was a tip-off in Layden's footage of Trump exiting his airplane. He could be seen wearing golf pants. So I guess that explained it. Looks like he just got off the golf course. No, he was going on to the golf course, and that was it. Oh, shit. I just X'd something out. Now I forget what the... What was the next thing? Is it that the Justice Department was seizing phones of top Trump aides in January 6th inquiry? That farce is still going on. The people who continue to try to make correlations between January 6th and, and September 11th are incredible. Incredible. January 6th was a joke. Not, of course, to the people that were killed by police. Lee Zeldin is running for New York governor over here, and they keep running these these smear ads against Lee Zeldin, how he, um, he, you know, he, uh, thinks, doesn't think that January 6th is a big deal. The, the terrorist thing, of course, they have all these quick cuts of, of the, of the, what is it, the barriers being lifted up and people screaming at each other and all that stuff where six, five police officers died. Yeah, one that one police officer who was a Trump supporter had a stroke the next day and everybody else mysteriously killed themselves. Still no information on that by the way. 
So some people are just, those are just awful. Hey, here's some awful news for you, but completely ex- explainable. We can explain all this. One 1,100 athletes died from sudden death from 1966 to 2004. At least 673 have died since January 2021 now. A number even likely higher than that. Now listen, I know what you're all thinking, but you have not considered the deadly effect of joy. The joy of being accepted to college. You aren't aren't considering that. It's much higher, much more dangerous than we thought. And cold showers. Cold showers, very dangerous. We learned that this year. Uh, aside from the fact that there is a new syndrome called death for no reason. So just wanted to throw that out there. Daily Mail. Daily Mail. This was interesting. And everything I'm about to read to you is a quote. It's not coming from me. A New York judge called Hispanic people liars and gay white men racist faggots and colleagues prostitutes before being removed from the bench short docs claim or court docs they want to wear those short docs they reveal too much but she is still fighting for her job back 10 months later judge harriet thompson was kicked off the bench of brooklyn surrogate court she allegedly targeted colleagues and litigants with racist and bigoted remarks there she is now um we're going to read a little bit more because I, I, this is the, the real Democrat sentiment. I know that they, they throw this on to right-wingers a lot, and everybody has the capacity to be prejudiced and, you know, biased and, uh, and racist and make comments, off-color remarks, especially if they don't think they're being heard or whatever. Everybody has the cap- cap- uh, capacity. But this, I'm, I promise you, this is most of the private conversations that your liberal friends have when nobody are listening most they are they are out of, out of their minds with hatred out of their, and you have to be when you focus so much when you are so focused you've got the blinders on to nothing but these types of things superficial physical things A New York judge has been accused of making vile, homophobic, and racist remarks in her courthouse. I guess that wasn't behind closed doors. Allegedly said in the Brooklyn surrogate court that homosexuality is an abomination and assumed people with a Spanish-sounding name were liars. The judge is accused of making the remarks before she was removed from the bench in December last year, but they have only been made... They've only just now been made in, made public, and she continues her fight to get her job back, claiming she's the victim of a political hit. By whom, I would ask? An affidavit from the state chief administrative judge, Lawrence Marks, seen by the New York Daily News, claims Thompson targeted multiple colleagues and members of the public in the court with bigoted and hateful remarks. According to a 20-page document, she said, I hate these gay white men. And then she called them gay racist faggots, trying to ruin me and get me. Being gay is an abomination to mankind. The Holy Ghost is going to get them. Thompson is accused of saying she assumed the litigant was a liar if they had a Spanish-sounding name. Uh, She allegedly added they have a deceitful trait that goes way back to biblical times. The the Hispanics? (laughs) What? What? 
I, Mr. Rodriguez in in uh, where, where where have you seen a Hispanic in in the Bible? The men are always stealing. The women are no better. They lie, steal, and use their vaginas for anything they want. She's actually becoming based more the more she goes on. Uh, <laughs> what did she say? She allegedly also targeted people from the West Indies. Overweight colleagues, female judges, white women, black women. All right. See, listen. She is giving it to everyone. Isn't that, isn't that fair? I thought every I think we're all about equity now. She doesn't seem to like anybody. I think that with that being the case, you still have just as good a chance as anybody to have an equal outcome in a court. Because based on this, she probably doesn't like you. Whoever whoever you are, she probably doesn't like you. Which I actually think is like the opposite side of it's almost equal. It like negates it. And negates everything else. She categorically categorically denies all the allegations. So we'll keep up with her. Good luck to Judge Harriet Thompson for getting her job back in New York. We need people like you in New York. Oh, boy. Uh, speaking of liars, Kamala Harris is so bad at being, I don't, I don't know, alive that even Chuck Todd can't believe the shit coming out of her. Listen to what she's, the one she says that we have a secure southern border. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do. Is the first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. So is the border secure? Well, I think that we need to create a pathway to citizenship. What the hell does that mean? What does that mean? Border is secure. Border secure, she says. Hundreds of thousands a month sometimes. But we also have a broken immigration system. No, we don't. We have an over... Oh, we have a flooded immigration system. That is just fine. It needs to be make, made even more strict. We need a 10-year immigration pause so everybody that's already here can find a way to assimilate, but there's nothing to assimilate to anymore. We're already too far in. Too far in. And everybody, you know, I I saw some people saying, well, we have pathways to citizenships. The administration just doesn't follow anything. And then some smarmy little asshole will say, what exactly is the pathway and how long does it take? Meaning it just takes too long. But you want to know something? Who cares how long it takes? Citizenship is not owed to anyone. Literally no one outside of the United States, who is not a citizen, is owed citizenship, let alone have that process expedited, that if there are people waiting to get in, we got to find a way to get them in quick. So it's all a lie. The premise is a bullshit one. In particular, over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It needs to be made even harder, and you need to be sent to Elba. That's where you need to be sent. So, um, there you have And one last thing. This is, uh, this is just something. The, I, I'm sorry I always ruin your, your nights so early on in the program and when I have to bring up a Clinton, but I don't know what Hillary Clinton and, um, and uh, uh, Bill Clinton's uh, adopted daughter, Chelsea, is doing. I don't know what they're doing. They're on some kind of a media tour. Maybe they have a book out. I haven't looked into it, and I don't care enough. 
but they won't stop making appearances on media, talk shows, and now they're sitting down with this Megan the Stallion who uh, did that Cardi B song about how they're... Get the children out of here for a second. You got three seconds. Pause this if you want. Kids, get out. Got to talk to your parents. Yes, you come back later. You just got to get out for now. Okay? Three, two, one. Uh, with the Cardi B, the one that did that song about how their, their pussies are constantly wet. Well, uh, you, you have to listen to this. You're going to watch it, actually. Here's Hillary Clinton telling Megan the Stallion, who literally she was briefed on in the limo ride over, that uh, she, she really loves her work. Chelsea follows rap music. She has ever since she was a little girl. But I kind of came to awareness of you with the Cardi B WAP. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of hip hop, like my very hip daughter Chelsea is. But you know that song that you did about your pussies being wet—that really just changed me. Oh my God. I've always wanted to do a song with Cardi. As soon as she sent me the song, I think I sent it back to her like the next day, and it was just so exciting. Look, look at these two bougie, disconnected white bitches sitting there trying to pretend like they not, they're not they're they're not cohorting with just just gutter trash exciting the men they seem so confident in what they're saying and they don't have no problem with talking about their sexuality and how they're gonna have sex with you so i was like well <laughs> i could do that and it's gonna sound fire coming from a woman no well you're just gonna sound like a slut like the the you're the counterpart of the male sluts. That's it's not a admirable thing. You know, it's like it's not an admirable thing. It goes on, but as far as the 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 public, I don't know the big act. But these are just these are not evolved people. What are you What are you gonna do? What are we gonna say? And they're sitting there like, hmm. It's great to see women be so kind of fierce. That is my life's mission <laughs> to make sure that I'm always unapologetically me. Okay, well, thankfully, oh yeah, I mean, obviously there's nothing really much to her, but Chelsea going, it's just great to see women being so fierce. Wow. Great. You're, you're a real great tag along. You really are Hillary's Robin. You are Robin to Hillary's Batman. You want, you want to hear fierce? Hope the kids are not in the room. Here is the first Here's the first stanza of lyrics. Ready? Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Hull up. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass pussy. Make that pullout game weak. Woo. I, I, you, you should read the next. Fierce. Just very fierce. I don't know how people don't literally die of cringe sometimes. Whenever videos come out like this, I am I'm surprised that we don't get headlines that there has been a die-off of at least 1.5 million people at a time who see this, and they can't take the cringe. So, okay, that's it for me in the opening. We'll be right back. If you're on YouTube, join us anywhere but, and there we go. 
Sorry, Franklies. The rest of the show is available at quitefrankly.tv. Quitefrankly.tv is the place to catch the latest episode, the latest blog entries, links to become a sponsor. If you want to buy a t-shirt or something, visit the merch store. Quite Frankly streams live weekdays at 7 p.m. Eastern wherever you get your podcast. Now, head to quitefrankly.tv and we'll see you there. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! I'm happy you're aboard for our Monday night kickoff for the new week. I'm happy you're here. So, what are we doing right now? I'm going to go into, well, I don't know. I guess we're just talking some thoughts. Jason Burmis is going to be joining us right now uh, in a a few minutes. And we're just going to be, I want to talk about a little piece of internet history. And that is what Loose Change is because it's a... um, I don't know. It's one. It's one of the first indie documentaries that really started getting around, and and um, in a time where the internet was really free, really free, incredible. In fact, tonight, after the show concludes at nine o'clock, we are going to be ma- we are going to be airing Loose Change, the um, the final cut. Jason Burmis's Loose Change final cut. It'll be right on after this show. You'll be able to watch that on quitefrankly.tv. So if you aren't there already, just get there at the end and we can all go back in time. That's, I think, the 2007 cut. But we're going to talk about all of that. The years, the the edits, the changing of the, the mind and the incorporating of new information as it came out. You know, it was nice yesterday to see things and to hear things like the whole stadium at the Meadowlands before the Jets game singing the national anthem together. I take heart in, in acts like that that show that showcase genuine goodness of average people. I take heart in that. I really do. That'll always make me feel great, even though we come from, at this point, numerous backgrounds and different realities. On a, on a day like September 11th, I may retweet a meme or reblog some threads that I read on Tumblr or something, but no statements, no no confrontations, because we're really just dealing with countless people and bots and bots in varying stages of awakening various stages of 
curiosity, cognitive dissonance, prejudice, mental illness. It's just not worthy of all the fights that start on days like September 11th. I mean, this is that. This is the kind of a feeling, all like the minefield that you're walking through, just on normal holidays now. Not that September 11th is a holiday. I'm just saying, you know, uh, it's it's our culture, or our non-culture, for a, a date to roll by, and everybody is uh, is just ready for war. They go out ready for war. They want to give you all the reasons why you are a backwards, ass backwards asshole for liking a certain thing or celebrating a certain person or a certain day or being part of one religion or another or or being for this person or that cause being against this war or for this war whatever the hell it is it is i feel like that has just injected itself into every day so on days like september 11th or you know maybe i'll do a little bit more for columbus day when it comes up I'm going to show you some home video of Columbus Day. I have some great video from back in the 90s, the Columbus Day parades around here. I'm going to go find some. I'm going to go find some. We'll do something nice for Columbus Day. Get a lot of people pissed off. Who's a lot of people? Just you guys. And we have a lot of fun, I think. But anyway, that's where we are. Just varying stages of awakening and sleepiness and it follows a sequence to get here when it comes to 9-11 because in 2001 it was shock trauma for most of us back then i'm 17 suddenly home is under attack and right after that the jingoism and the call to arms it was magnetic magnetic namely because we all had a lot more held in common as a culture back then um it, it, it was we just wanted to lock arms and go to war Especially if you were young enough, I mean, compared to the people who are kicking around, kicking over rocks and questioning everything now, it was nowhere near that back then. There's some OG conspiracy theorists out there, but there's a lot of people that are trying to retrofit themselves with skepticism. You know, they they want to you know add years, add years to their time questioning everything. I know there's a lot of people doing that right now, but not me. Not at 17 years old. It, uh, the the jingoism was magnetic, and um, but it was a few years in, few years in, especially after 2004. Once 2004 was behind us, and that was my first presidential election, I got to to vote in, and I voted for George Bush because the the war started under Bush in 2001. We should give him a chance to finish it. I know I've said that line on this on this show before, but um, once 2004 was safely behind us. Things started to change. Uh, it was really behind me. It was really behind me after I voted for Obama in 2008. By 2009, flirting with 2010, I was I was already really finally off the deep end and, and separated from it all and going into history and everything. Always liked conspiracy theory. Always liked hidden history, uh, you know, timelines, Merovingian kings, all of that, but never really wanted to put it all together. Around 2010, that's what happened to me. But around there, I would say around 2005 to six, is when we started realizing that the war was nonsense at least, and that millions of people around the world were being displaced, maimed, and or killed. We're getting bullshit confessions from people who were being tortured 
and the FBI is just getting into the the habit of framing young Muslim boys to justify their new covert or counterterrorism budgets. Homeland Security, it was ready to go. There's too many practical questions still at that time about the attacks themselves, and they were attacks. They were attacks. It was terrorism. Okay? Uh, And uh, the only thing is that when you start thinking about who executed what, the names, the places, and who it serves, who benefits. I mean, it's the same. How many times do I have to say that uh, by late April, late May, or late April, uh, mid-May 2020, COVID was slow motion 9-11. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Of course there are people out there in the world that would genuinely not like a, a nation like the United States, even if you, you X out all of our adventurism, all of our drug peddling, all, all, all the covert wars and proxy uh, action and all that stuff, you take all that out, there's still going to be people with a gripe. There will always be people with gripes and whatnot, but nothing like 2020 or 9-11 happens to a nation like us without enemies behind the gates opening the gates up. I mean, there's at least some coordination there. And before we go to break tonight, I'm going to leave you with a five-minute ditty. A, I mean, everything that I think everything that James Corbett does is brilliant. I'd love to have him on the show one day. But I'm going to leave you with a nice little five-minute ditty that he made years ago. I think that'll be um, serve a lot of you well. But still, um, too many practical questions. A couple years afterwards, they were left unanswered or just outright ignored. The Patriot Act, that was ready to be signed before the fires were out in Manhattan. It all just started making enough nonsense to at least allow a whole generation of people to start being suspicious. And that's really all you need to know. Because for anybody to anybody to put it on themselves to know everything and have the answers to everything um, to justify your smelling a rat, you don't need to know. Nobody's going to have all the answers ever. Ever. So after a few years, September 11th already became one of those walking on eggshells things for a lot of people, especially people like me. One, Because on one hand, you're truly mourning the people who lost, who were lost that day who died, who left behind families and friends, and they were you know, lives cut off so early. Uh, the, the stories of true acts of heroism, which is always all over the place. When you put, us, you put people like us in people, period, in hard situations, we sacrifice for each other. The, the, the stories that really get me are the stories of the rescue dogs. We've done tributes for the rescue dogs on this show many years in the past. We've done them in consecutive years. Love those, but um, that's it. That's it. You like you know it, it just it just I don't know it, it. On one hand, you're mourning, and on the other hand, you start becoming really highly suspicious of those who are laying the wreaths. You know the politicians, the one leader or another, those who are there leading all the remembrances and laying the wreaths in an official capacity with their little. American flag pins on their lapels and all that stuff. It's almost like, you know, in the the sixth sense, when you find out somewhere along the 
the movie that the little girl who dies halfway through the movie was actually being slowly poisoned to death by her mother, putting like the, I don't know, like pine saw in her soup, keeping her sick and then just killing her. I don't know. Just had who knows? That's the kind of disgust I feel when company men and women like the Clintons or the Bushes wax poetic on September, in September, especially now that we're witnessing now the steady co-opting of September 11th by the same people who dragged us through it in the first place, who were there for us, with us in the first place. How many times do you hear now in the last couple of years, especially that uh, the work that began on September 12th, 2001, continues to this day as we now must be ever vigilant of the rise of domestic terrorism. That's because it's politically incorrect now to even reference Islam like we were encouraged to do when they needed us to focus our blame on something a little bit more concrete. It's politically incorrect now. So September 11th is becoming a lesson that we all need to extract and to apply to the dangers of generalized radical extremism slash Trump supporters, which is, of course, now defined by any person deviating from any position adopted by the state officially. So I largely keep myself busy with family or housework or concentrate on stories of civilian heroism and all that stuff. And I pray and my patriotism keeps a small fire kindling for those actually responsible for all this to be brought to justice one day. But I dream, I dream, and I cannot wait to bring on our guests right now because we have a lot of history, internet history at that to kick through. And I just want to welcome them aboard again hey jason burmish thanks for coming on in again i mean i feel like you were here just yesterday <laughs> it was uh what just a couple of weeks ago i believe right maybe I, maybe three i, I believe i believe so i really do now I, as far as let me see where, where the hell did i put my obs oh there we go um as far as you go jason the, the, the one of the biggest reasons why i always wanted to talk to you was because Loose change was a big part of a lot of our early internet rabbit hole lives. I watched the the first the first generation. How many how many um, different editions did you end up coming out with with this before? I believe two thousand seven was the final edition. Um, they actually did um, after I left. Loose change in American coup. That's the one that made it all the way to uh, Netflix. I was only involved in the second edition and what I thought would be the final version of the film, the final cut. Um, however, there was an original edition that was 60 minutes long. Um, as I just stated, there's the American Coup. So, you know, officially there's, you know, four, but the second edition, um, there were a couple of revisions. There was like a second edition recut in between uh, us putting out the uh, the uh, final cut and the uh, original second edition that started to go viral. I remember that first edition because we were watching, we were all, we were sharing it with each other, and we were because I don't know what, what year was that because it wasn't really uh, YouTube centric. I remember I think watching it on Ebom's World or something like that back in the day. I forgot where, but it was one of those things where we watched as a group. We're like, oh damn, could this be? could this be and then we were asking questions for the same time and then all of a sudden it starts getting really popular and then you how how were you brought into the uh into the picture right before that second edition 
Well, I would imagine what you saw is the second edition, unless you saw the 60-minute version that started with the uh, questions about what was under the plane. And really, that was an evolution from the Let's Roll 911 uh, forums. And uh, Bill Jahan used to run that. So basically, I had seen that version, which, uh, again, if people don't know what I'm talking about, um, there's a lot of evidence that it wasn't commercial aircraft that were used on 9-11. Obviously, the Pentagon and whatever happened with United 93 or what happened in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, is extremely uh, suspicious. But that original version focused on uh, this large pod-like object that was caught on several uh, different camera angles. And it appears to show that it shoots a projectile into the World Trade Center as the uh, building hits. Even the Naude brothers footage, there seems to be a large flash, flash ahead of the plane's impact into the building. And that was something that I had already kind of like heavily studied, right? And when I saw that this film um, started off with that, I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting that they're doing this. And then, you know, it, it just had this backbeat to it. There were a lot of the questions that I had um, I remember watching the Pentagon section, and for me, I always thought the Pentagon may be a red herring, and it wasn't something that was really worth looking into. But the way they constructed it, I thought it was pretty decent and a valid question. So I, I kind of fell into it, brother. Uh, I, I remember, and a lot of people probably won't believe me when I say this, but this is the absolute truth. I am not a hugely religious person. I certainly wasn't at that point. But I saw that. And I remember looking up uh, it on a website. I found their website, and it said that Dylan Avery and Corey Rowe were out of Washington, D.C. No idea who they were. No idea how old they were. But I said, you know what, this is a, this is a powerful film. And I, I would do just about anything to be involved. And I literally prayed to God that somehow I would end up working with these people. And lo and behold, uh, you know, and again, it sounds wild. That that was the summer. I, I want to say I was 24 years old. I just turned 24, so that has to be like 2005. Hmm. And I uh, I got my first desk job. I moved back to a place called Oneana. I was working in Cooperstown, New York, as a graphic designer. But at nights, I was still uh, doing pizza. And I was the guy that was kind of burning CDRs at the time. They weren't <laughs> DVDs, right? And the CDRs would have um, folders of the evidence. So you could go and watch just little short news clips that I would put in there, or you would see whatever kind of documents. Usually they were like JPEG grabs. It wasn't a lot of PDF stuff. And one of the discs I had burned had the original loose change on it. And my delivery guy at the time, um, Phil who I still talk to to this day, says, you know, I know the guys that made that movie. Oh, like, <laughs> oh there you go. And he's, he's like, yeah. Um, he's like, actually, they're moving back to Oneana, and that's where I was living. They're from here. I went to high school with them. And I can get Corey down here right now if you want. Wow. Like, really? So he does that. And, again, I'm working at the pizza shop. This is my night gig. And Corey Rowe comes in. And so I start talking to him, and, and we get into a good conversation for about an hour. I'm trying to feel him out and see where he's at and what he thinks the bigger picture is. And, you know, by the end of the conversation, he looks at me and he goes, 
hey, man, I really want you to take a look at the script for the second edition. I'm going to go run home and, and grab it. I'd love for you to go through and tell me what you think is valid and what kind of edits you would do on this. And I'm like, hell yeah. Hell. <laughs> I mean, this is all moving so quick. So I, I'll never forget it. He came back with uh, the script from the second edition. I kind of just flipped through it. It had been a long day. We're talking about I used to get up at 6 in the morning, and I sometimes uh, wouldn't get home from the pizza job till 1 or 2. So th at this time, I'm really rolling in my mid-20s, getting like 4 or 5 hours of sleep a night max. And I get up the next morning, I get on the bus, and I start going through this thing. And I'm, and I'm happy to see there's some stuff in there about the Pakistani ISI and the FBI and military base. There's a lot of good stuff that's being added. And there's some stuff that I thought, hey, maybe we should get rid of this or... Uh, phrase it in a different way, or, oh, my goodness, I've got another video that would fit great here. Um, you know, Corey tells me that basically Dylan's going to be back in a, a couple days, and I'll have to meet him. I'm like, great. So that happens. About two days later, um, after I've made some edits or whatever, uh, Dylan came in from D.C. as well, and they were roommates. They were living together. And I, I could kind of tell right away that Dylan was very skeptical that I was going to be able to show him anything that he hadn't seen on these forums, but... I knew by reading a lot of these forums and being in a 9-11 truth, I had a lot of stuff other people were, wasn't talking about. So Dylan starts seeing the stuff that I'm burning. He's like, wow, okay, all right, uh-huh. And right away, all of a sudden, I kind of became part of the crew. And now Dylan was coming over to my house at night, and he was editing on his compact laptop. Um, we were going through and editing the film together. And then, you know, as as this was ramping up, um, we were doing screenings in New York City. So if you watch the uh, second edition, which most is, again, the version most people have, or if you have it on DVD, there's a 20-minute extra in there where we go down to 9-11 on the fourth anniversary of 9-11, again, in 2005, down to Ground Zero, hand out a couple copies, put up posters, um, for the screening we're going to be having of the film we still haven't released yet. And, um, you know, we released that film. I'm working that day job. I'm printing up the DVD covers, right? Like, I'm trying to do my part. I printed up the Investigate 9-11 shirts. And when we just had our, our, our rip for the company that was going to manufacture the DVDs, you know, we were, I think we were ordering somewhere between, um, you know, 500 and 1,000 at, at a time. You know, very minimal. Yeah. Um, I uh, we we went to a Cindy Sheehan event, and D Cindy Sheehan, for those that don't know, lost her son in the Iraq War, and she was pretty vocal against the Bush administration, right? So we said, you know what? Let's let's go down there with our cameras, with a couple copies of the film, and we'll wear the Investigate 9/11 shirts that I that I printed up. So we get down there probably before just about anybody. We get into the front row. And almost immediately, uh, a local Fox reporter sees that we all have this Investigate 9-11 shirt on. And he's like, well, what's this? And so he tapes Dylan, Corey, and I, and everybody, I think it's Fox 40 Binghamton. You might be able to find the clip still. And obviously, this reporter is super skeptical. So we had two copies, man, literally two copies. We gave one to the reporter. We didn't really expect to hear back from him. We didn't expect to get on television, and then we gave one to Cindy Sheehan, and, you know, we didn't really hear back from Cindy. Years later, I would run into Cindy at uh, the G20 in Pittsburgh, I believe in 2009, and we spent the day together, 
and she actually ended up being in my film Invisible Empire uh, for a short period. That's kind of a side note. Wow. Uh, I know it's 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 crazy what happens when when you want to pull things in, right? When you no, when you have a goal and you're directing, especially in that, especially those years too. I mean, it, it's easy to say, "Wow, the the world seems to be getting smaller because of just how." The connectivity of all things are is just so pervasive right now. But in 2005, there is still a good amount of life that is analog. And for you to be in Oneonta and to all of a sudden have these two guys that you knew or you thought were 700 miles away or 600 miles away in, uh, in Washington, D.C., suddenly in, the, in town and you have a personal link, that's some... That's uh, man, yeah, yeah, it's almost it's almost divine, if not divine. Well, again, I, I I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, right? And you build your own destiny, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you believe in the secret, and you're gonna get a magic parking spot and be a billionaire and have a vision board. No, I was li- literally obsessed with 9/11 truth and finding the truth behind it, and it had become and encompassed my whole life in ways most can't imagine, and somehow this opportunity came. And we took full advantage of it. When they watched that film over at Fox 40, and these were local news reporters, they were blown away. So we ended up, we get a call, um, I think it was the next night, hey, we're going to run you two, two night stories. Um, we we want to do this twice. Uh, we can't believe how powerful the film was. And this was before YouTube. So they ran the story, and there had been enough of an underground buzz that we were being lied to about 9-11. Obviously, Alex Jones, Infowars.com still had an underground following. People were starting to catch on, and especially questioning after the invasion of Iraq. Well, we crashed their servers. Wow. <laughs> so people were going there so much, it became their number one news story, right? And then in, in the subsequent weeks, we released the thing. And immediately it was getting ripped up onto the Internet. People were putting it in other languages. Um, In short order, I went from my day job there to them saying, you need to quit your day job and you need to come work with us. And we're just going to do this full time. And we need help just on the DVD end alone, you know, packing them up. So I I think maybe a a week into that, Joe Rogan actually purchased 10 copies. I'll, I'll never forget that we were going through the orders and all I see all of a sudden, I see uh, an email address, Joe at JoeRogan.net, and I'm like, "Get out of here! Great!" And that's like that's like about three years before he even started his show, maybe four years. Yeah, yeah it's well before. And I forget what platform he and Red Band were on, but it wasn't originally YouTube either, because you really couldn't do it that way. I think it was Jason TV or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, no, Justin TV. Justin TV. Justin Because yeah. we started when we started our show, we started our show our our twice a week live show in 2006 and by summer of 2007 we wanted to get to video and um, we found Ustream which became well actually was just bought by IBM not too long ago and then there was Justin TV which became Twitch and uh, yeah but Justin TV we, we skipped over because at that point it was invite only you had to get invited uh, on, and you got a stream key and all that stuff. So we went with Ustream, and we ended up parking there until 2015. But, yeah, man, that, that's uh, – I, I know he, he didn't start until – that's incredible. Well, let me ask you this, because now we're talking about the, the, the thing the, – uh, the video's proliferation. When it um, – as I said, I, we watched it on places like E-Bombs World. It was being uploaded all over the place. What do you remember about it getting popular? Because all of a sudden we saw – was it you and Corey on with uh, the debate with Popular Mechanics? Myself and Dylan, actually. You and Dylan. No. 
Yeah, yeah, that that was on the fifth anniversary of 9-11. So by that point, in between the fourth and fifth anniversary, that was just a whirlwind of a year. What can I say? You know, we went from that local news station covering it uh, to buzz around, you know, big national radio shows. You know, I got um, attacked on Opie and Anthony without even knowing we were on that show because we started doing Sirius XM interviews, and they were very deceptive. They actually had Corey on. Uh, in the beginning of it, and I, I, I got off the bus to, to work, and he literally just handed me the phone and said, you got to take this. These guys are, you know, and I didn't even know what show I was on until I realized that Jim Norton was uh, talking about raping my mother with a HIV-infested porn star penis. That sounds like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah like they him. kept going Ramon and, you know, all these other things. But at the same time, a lot more people were taking it seriously. And um, there was just huge buzz and interest. We went. We ended up being in Vanity Fair. Um, you know, I we started to travel the country. I'd really never done that before. I remember the very first conference where I met Alex Jones in person, and so many others uh, that remain relevant to today and still do great work today. Was in 2006 in Chicago. People like Gary Franchi, who now does Next News Net Network, were there with LoneLantern.org. Uh, Webster Tarpley, the author was there uh richard uh richard andrew grove who does grand theft world and uh, tragedy and hope i met him there for the very very first time uh I, i'm not sure but i, I almost want to say well who else was there? there there were there was a lot luke radowski was another person who we'd already known who was down there so all of a sudden we were doing these conferences all of a sudden people were paying attention we wanted to make it even more accessible to people. So instead of just buying one DVD, we started doing um, basically these packs. Now, we encourage people to burn them, but a lot of people wouldn't do that. But you could get a spindle of 10, 25, or 50, and it was extremely discounted because you didn't get the case, right? Hmm. It basically came uh, either on a spindle that you could purchase or a spindle, and I think you got, like, the little sleeves you could put them in. And it just took off, man. I, I mean, again, people were uploading it in different languages for us. We ended up being on the History Channel. Uh, the film itself on the fifth anniversary of 9-11 aired in 17 different countries, uh, some of them on the History Channel. Richard Branson actually had it air on uh, Virgin Airlines for less than a week. I think we, we got paid for the full term, but there was such an outcry that they were playing our film on a plane yeah. of all places. But, but you know, this what this is indicative of to me is this mammoth culture shift in media. Um, and and pro possibly just because at that time, the, uh, the old school legacy media, which is still taking this, they felt no real danger from the internet. Uh, and, and it's not, but it, the odd thing is that it's not as if they could just leave, let it fester on the internet. They're taking you from the internet and putting you into the mainstream. And everybody thought that there was really, so, and now it, this is so taboo. It, you cannot mention this kind of stuff. The fact that I remember that actually being on Netflix, uh, it, it's, it's really incredible how we used to, and this is not too long ago, we used to actually tolerate these types of opinions and, and analysis of data and, and history. It's just, it, it's incredible how far we've fallen. You're not kidding. I mean, I remember in 2007, or I'm sorry, 2008, on the seventh anniversary of 9-11, I released Fabled Enemies, which was my follow-up film. I did a watch along with it yesterday. We played it uh, last night on, on the network. 
Oh, excellent. Love that. Love that. It's great. We're, we're, we're going to play uh, the final cut, Loose Change, tonight after we end here, too. Excellent. You know, those are obviously my two favorite 9-11 films. They're not perfect, but we tried to do the best job that we could. Now, with that film, uh, Netflix, you know, again, streaming wasn't a huge thing back in 2008. It was just starting to get going and whatnot. They ordered, I think, 800 copies, hard copies, because back in the day, Netflix was you actually got DVDs in the mail. So, you know, there was a level of mainstream acceptance. And, you know, we almost got Loose Change Final Cut in theaters. We met everybody from uh, Charlie Sheen to representatives from Miramax. And uh, and Mark Cuban was very much behind it at one point. And I really think there was just too much pressure. And, you know, once once you passed the fifth anniversary it didn't have as much sting. People were just kind of like, ah. And on the fifth anniversary, you know, we gave out 10,000 copies of the film. We had like 5,000 Investigate 9-11 t-shirts. We we had, had, you know, anywhere from five to 20,000 people at Ground Zero. Um, It should have been a huge television event. They didn't allow cameras down there. Hmm. The only people that would do a wide shot of what was going on is... If you were lucky and you go back to 9-11-2000 and uh, 6 on C-SPAN, you'll see a lot of us walking around. Um, Like you said, I debated uh, popular mechanics on the Amy Goodman show, Democracy Now!, which is still pretty popular uh, amongst liberals and the NPR crowd. Uh, I was on Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla tried to eat me alive, had wished me to make pizza for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, And I was canceled on Glenn Beck. I was supposed to go uh, up against Popular Mechanics on Glenn Beck when he was still on CNN. We discussed it for like a week um, right after the Popular Mechanics thing. I think within, like when we were leaving the firehouse to walk down to Ground Zero, we got the, hey, you're not going to be on this television show. And, and instead of, you know, I, I don't think they liked how well Dylan and I did against James Meggs and David Dunbar, and they just had James Meggs on to spout the nonsense. You know, uh, we were we were being kind of canceled before it was cool. So I always say, you know, the precursor to all these fact checkers were the debunkers, right? So the debunkers would come up with their facts and their authoritative sources, but the censorship level wasn't there because we still had a semblance in this country of a thing called free speech because most people were accustomed to paper you know, paper, basically newspapers, and that there were opposing opinions. And even on the news, you had opposing opinions, and most of the time it was down the line. Most people understood that even the most abhorrent stuff, um, you know, racist stuff, KKK stuff, anti-Semitic stuff, had a place in newsletters, and as disturbing and disgusting as that was, you didn't want to get rid of it because you needed free speech. Now we're at a point where you can tell the God's honest truth it's not based in any kind of bigotry or hate at all, and they're censoring it in real time. So it's really flipped on its head in a, you know, in a world where they promised us this digital freedom and access to all information. Instead, what we've seen is a scrubbing of information. Hell, you know, it's funny. Just, uh, <clears throat> just today, I'll show this to people. I went to an article I literally covered last week at the World Economic Forum. Right. And it says something appears to have gone wrong. Now, obviously, this is their own self-censorship, but this was an article on transhumanism. We're about to bring up the archive version if it, if it loads. 
um, in which they were promising. Really? Did, did the archive version go down? <laughs> You're kidding me, man. That was, that's I amazing. Had this thing. So now the archive version, I, I literally had it loaded, but it, it's not loading. Um, the whole that is so bizarre. But this was a article about augmented human beings and how this generation believes they're going to have superpowers yeah. because they're going to merge with machines. So even even when you don't have the self censorship, you have the internet scrubbing. The Wayback Machine only gives you so much, and we're living in kind of a scary time where I would uh, amass it to digital book burning, where they promised us the information age. Now we're in a post-world truth or a post-truth world of disinformation. And, and you know what? Go, going back to that popular mechanics uh, debate that you had, that was that was NPR. You said what was that? Uh, no, Democracy that was Now? Amy Goodman, and that was on Democracy Now. It was that was a major media red pill moment for me. You know, I, I obviously I still I there's so many factors when I when I analyze something I I try to take into account the individual anchor or the person on the street how much do they know how dumb are they you know how impressionable are you know what 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 are the i try to think of all that stuff but to see this set up between you and popular mechanics and to see that um that exchange i it they came off so smarmy and they were not hitting the points they were not taking you down and i can see why glenn beck would rather just have them talking unopposed at that moment but i would want i wonder what they would say in i mean any time after 2020 because it was march or april of 2020 when alaska fairbanks university came out with their study and all their compu computer models and definitively said once and for all that fire did not bring down building seven and I, I would I would love to see what they say about that. But here, here's a bigger question I want to ask of you. The the um, because now we're talking about your ability to debate and to hang with all of these mainstream these mainstream scientists and engineers and stuff. The 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 big the big uh, call to action that we got out of 2001 was never forget. And I want to kick this off with you with a bang here. Uh, never forget, remember the Alamo, remember Pearl Harbor. These are all official calls to action to keep people motivated in a state-prescribed response, namely war, the growth of the surveillance state, etc., etc. But if you are going to tell people, I would love to hear what you can just rattle off of some of the things you would prefer people never forget about September 11th. What are just all, all the things that just stand out that that should never be forgotten that will that can never be answered through any of the official narratives that have been published? I mean, there's a lot of them, but never forget they're running war games in the weeks and uh, days before 9-11 and on 9-11 themselves of hijacked aircraft going into buildings. Never forget that Osama bin Laden was on the cover of one of those war games in which they were literally taking a commercial aircraft and ramming it into the White House. Never forget that they detained Israelis that were part of an operation that had already been arrested, had already infiltrated a massive amount of of U.S. military installations and government institutions prior to that. They also arrested more after, and they were all let go. Mm -hmm. Never, ever forget that the current poopy pants president puppet met with one of the financiers behind 9-11, the head of the Pakistani ISI, who wired out of money, the supposed lead hijacker, in the week before the attack. That wouldn't be the only person 
that met with them. Never forget that Bob Graham and Porter Goss met with them also. Porter Goss would become the head of the CIA, and they would co-chair the initial congressional investigation into 9-11 together. That's on top of George Tenet, Condoleezza Rice, and many others uh, meeting with Ahmed. Never forget that a third building that was 47 stories high and had the uh, Office of Emergency Management in it is, was supposed to be the command center for any type of uh, disaster like this, uh, fell down into its own footprint at 520 after not being hit by a building and having two people that we know of blown up in that building because they went to the Office of Emergency Management hmm. and they tried to go down after the elevators. Uh, when they got up there, there was nobody there. It was Michael Hess and Barry Jennings Okay, and then they stepped over dead bodies as they were taken out and never forget that the government lied and said nobody died there. Didn't even mention that in their official 9-11 commission report. I mean, we could go on and on and I'll never forget when you watch Loose Change Final Cut. Never forget that there was a multitude of explosions. Okay, that happened aside from the planes going into buildings on the lower levels. Never forget, you can see the lobby was blown out. And they'll try to tell you, well, the fire from the top came down into the, the elevator shafts and blew out on the bottom level. First of all, that's not the bottom level, okay? <laughs> There's sub-basement levels. There were explosions there, too. Uh, according to Willie Rodriguez uh, and Felipe, man, I'm gonna, I, I'm forgetting his last name, but again, you're, you're going to watch Loose Change, and you're going to see this person who was literally burned as the elevator doors exploded on the lower level in a building that was hermetically sealed, okay, in three separate places, making that impossible. It would have been impossible anyway because glass this thick and marble were blown off the walls, yet there's no burn marks at all. Mm. So, you, I mean, we go on and on and on. Never forget that they have covered up the Saudi Arabian funding for... 20 plus years never forget we had able danger that had these people in their sights never forget that james woods got on a plane with four of the hijackers prior to 9 11 in august woods a pilot and the um uh the what, what is it stewardess all filed reports on these people and nothing was done to them never forget that a bunch of the hijackers trained and lived at military bases. Other hijackers lived with an FBI informant. Hijacker Walid al-Shiri had the CIA called on him prior to 9-11, and nothing was done. Wasn't he, wasn't he, wasn't he? Hijackers came through, through a consulate that was run by the Central Intelligence Agency. Go ahead. And, and, and wasn't uh, Robert Mueller... He was the the director. I mean, he helped cover this up for for many years. As He's far as the man. He, yeah, He's, dude, he he just became the head of the FBI. Yep. And then his deputy director was a man named Michael Shertoff. Never forget, he was also the head of Homeland Security, the first head. He also made a bunch of money through his company, who was pushing what body scanners for airports. So these people are as crooked as it gets. I'll never forget. Intended. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'll, I'll never forget. When people were in this delusional fantasy state under Trump that everything was the deep states going down and this is 4D chess and people were saying that Robert Mueller was really working for Trump and they were going to bring down the deep state together and, you know, Julian Assange was going to come over and it was all going to be great. I'm like, Robert Mueller covered up 9-11. There were a multitude of FBI whistleblowers that tried to come forward and said, hey, we knew how the money moved 
prior to this, people need to look into vulgar betrayal and Robert Wright. Never forget that a multitude of family members are the ones that really started the 9-11 truth movement in the first place because they realized that their loved ones were murdered and it wasn't guys with box covers. Hmm. Now, okay, so now, now, now there's a couple other things here. First thing I would, I'd like to ask, um, well, I mean, uh, I'll save that one for later, but I wanted to ask an uh, opinion on this one other thing. I mean, 9-11, September 11th, is it spawned innumerable theories because as you're saying here this is we realize that those who are supposedly supposed to be uh the the watchers on the wall that have our best interest in mind at the very least they are they're not i mean that's that's just it and that there are plenty of people who signed up to work in these these agencies and these bureaus and had that in mind but as far as the time, the pecking order the administrations they seem to be controlled by some kind of an unseen hand that does not care about the truth justice the american way and all that other good clark kent stuff but um in that absence of some kind of a foundational guiding light for us all it allowed people to latch on look to look to alternative media look to people like you and start asking questions getting together uh formulating their own theories and it has come up with innumerable theories some that have more merit than others and in your opinion here's my question for you what aspects of 9-11 truth or skepticism do you think were most discrediting to the overall movement um, is, is there anything like, for example, what happened with the planes, uh, is a big source of differing theories Were they shot down and replaced by drones. Uh, and, and you must know that there are plenty of people who believe that there were no planes at all. Do, uh, do you have any final theory on what happened to each plane? These, this is where, this is where the differential gets and people get very rigid in their theories. I absolutely uh, agree that people get rigid. Now, let me say this. Whenever I'm speculating, I let people know I'm speculating, and then I'll tell you what I'm basing my speculation on, what evidence it is. Now, obviously, with the film evidence of uh, World Trade Center 1 and 2, and especially the second plane of the World Trade Center getting caught, I believe, on 20-plus angles. I've seen every single available video. In fact, this year, there was actually a new video of the plane strike. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but it was hidden away for 20-plus years. I believe planes hit the buildings, obviously. Now, were they the commercial aircraft that they claimed them to be? I think there's a good possibility, of course, they were not. But then you get into the conundrum and what the debunkers will say. Well, then what happened to the planes? What happened to the people? Or they'll accuse you of saying uh, that those people didn't really die on 9-11. I don't believe any of that. And I think that the most discrediting thing is the... Uh, hologram planes, TV fakery, West Cam. And actually, just before this broadcast, I did a show uh, talking about Dr. Judy Wood because, you know, you see a lot of people when you start talking about 9-11 or sometimes nothing, spamming Dr. Judy Wood, Dr. Judy Wood, Dr. Judy Wood. And they're often talking about her work with where did the towers go. Yeah, And she has talked about different types of weaponry um, that brought down the towers, whether or not that is, you know, directed energy weapons. Some people have speculated many nukes. I want to say there's no doubt that there were explosives inside the World Trade Center. I believe that uh, there is a plethora of evidence that thermite was at least used in some of the cases. Um, I think that 
we all know, at least the ones that have looked into it, there was a type of controlled demolition, and that's where you get into not only scholars for 9-11 of truth, but then architects and engineers for 9-11 truth, where you literally have hundreds of professionals getting behind that. But then with Judy Wood and her um, directed energy weapons theory, she also clings on to the ghost plane theory, that there were no planes there. And once you tell somebody that, it becomes a wild conspiracy theory and everything gets discredited. For instance, last year, the headline right here is wildest 9-11 conspiracy theories from New World Order to no planes claim. Now, as you know, Frank, I've covered the New World Order at nauseum, and I very much believe that 9-11 is part of a globalist predator class agenda to bring in a collectivist global order. Absolutely. That's valid. No planes isn't. And I know where the no planes theory came from. So before we even put out the second edition, and again, I would encourage people to go watch my broadcast that I did earlier this evening. Um, we were going to 9-11 truth events in New York, and we're talking about 15 people being there, maybe. And, you know, it's me, Dylan, Corey, we're three. Luke Radowski was down there. There's four. Uh, they were being put on by a guy named Les Jameson. And then there was a guy there named Nico Hopped. Okay, and Nico Hopped had done some decent work on some of the war games. He put out some stuff before Webster Tarpley. And we're sitting there and we're talking to him. And all of a sudden, he's starting to get into no planes and TV fakery. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is too much. This is wild. I've watched these videos again and again and again. People are, butter plane. It went in like butter. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if they were going to fake the planes hitting the buildings in that manner, why would there be extra equipment underneath the uh, plane that struck the second tower, and why would it look like it put in a projectile? Wouldn't there be either no projectile and explosions coming in, or the projectile disguises the plane? I'm not really even sure how that would work, right? But I'm just saying that's such a mismatch. And then you study Nico Hopped, and Nico Hopped at the time had said something about this guy named Josh Harris. I didn't know who Josh Harris was. Josh Harris uh, was one of the first uh, Internet entrepreneurs pre-YouTube that had this company called Sudo. And in New York City, he had this underground mind control project called Citizen Quiet, which Nico Hopped was a part of. And you would be interrogated by a man named Harold Kaufman and others. Harold Kaufman was a CIA psychiatrist and interrogist. And you just watch him, man. He's, they tell him to strip down naked. He strips down naked. He gets on his knees when they tell him to get on his knees. They're running all these weird mind control experiments on the guy that comes up with the no-plane theory. So, obviously, you know, I, I try to stay away from infighting and this type of stuff. And especially when I was trying to get a, a legitimate, I thought there was a chance of a legitimate invest investigation into 9-11 and maybe we could actually bring people to justice. The last thing you want to start with is something insane like no planes, but that's exactly what they wanted to start with. And then they wanted to get into directed energy weapons. Well, the part, and, and this video, I don't know if it exists anymore because we're talking about this got to be 2009, maybe, maybe 2010. I'll never forget it because it was just so weird. Uh, we're sitting in the InfoWars office, and again, Dylan, myself, Alex, 
uh, you know, the loose change boys is what they used to call us. We're constantly under attack. You know, we're disinfo. We're agents. Even now, Alex Jones is controlled opposition or he works for Israel and all those things. They made a video, and I say they, it was Dr. Judy Wood with Nico Hopped, where they're in this weird dark room playing music with flashing lights, and Nico Hopped is in his underwear flailing about like this in a pumpkin horror mask. <laughs> like in Seasons like, of the Witch? <laughs> I don't need, Bro, you need to watch this movie. We live in public, or go back and watch the video I just did where I only play a two and a half. I, I would encourage you to go watch We Live in Public because it's fascinating in the first place. This underground cult, basically, you know, they were worried it was going to be a doomsday cult. They raided it on uh, January 1st, 2000, right? And it was underground uh, in New York City. They had guns, but he had people in literal pods being filmed all the time. You couldn't even go to the bathroom in peace. Like, everything was out in the open. You were constantly being filmed. They were running experiments on you, and they had a large weapons cache, hmm. okay? So the police go down there. They bust that all up, and it gets even weirder than that. So the guy who did this, Josh Harris, okay, was also part of filming an art project called The Bee Thing by a group called Gelatin that just happened to be in the World Trade Center. And uh, I'll show everybody this article right here. Uh, this one, I think, is from, like, 2016. The curious demise of Internet mogul, and he's still alive, worth $95 million, okay, convinced he's being watched by the FBI over mysterious art installation with ties to 9-11. So what they did is, let's make this bigger. As you can see right here, these people somehow inside the World Trade Center took out one of the windows, installed, like, a patio you could walk out on, and Josh Harris is in a helicopter filming them. And everybody knows about the Mossad and the Israeli art students, and this clearly appears to be a part of that. Here's, here's some of the things. Uh, there are also pictures, as you can see, these, these are the art students that did this, of what appear to be um, fuses for explosives. If you look at the markings, the BB whatever, uh, a lot of people ask how could they have been inside. So we know about the Israeli Mossad art students. We know about the network. We now know that some of them were inside the World Trade Center. They're connected to this guy who was down in New York City who's also connected to mind control and the guy who's behind the no planes theory. That's Josh Harris mm. right there. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that you know, Judy Wood is an operative or she's putting out purposeful disinformation. She's certainly quirky. I don't even dismiss that there may have been, again, other methods other than traditional demolitions and thermite. You know, you look at Building 6, for instance, and it looks scooped out. It, it looks like there's a separate... It, it's it's true. I mean, I, I told you, I mean, you told me, you started giving me a little bit more on this uh, yesterday when we were doing some uh, pre-show uh, work on this, and you, you were told me that you just did a little bit on Judy Wood, things I never heard before, but uh, until yesterday, I mean, I, I watched, I would watch over the last maybe three years, every year for the last three or four years, uh, where did the towers go, and I thought that the dustification theory was actually something that was very worthy of consideration just because of the stories of people who should have been crushed by all this falling debris that actually they look up and they see 
uh, daylight, and it's just, I don't know, it's like an evaporation of two major towers. The seismic uh, impact readings don't look like anything that would have had two major uh, uh, structures like that falling right to, the, especially at that speed. There, everything was in free fall that day, so it, it's odd. It, it really is, but... Um, yeah, it's all, I guess all a balancing act because you just don't know. This is all new to me. Well, let's say let's say that it's true that they used it directed energy weapons, right? Let's say that that uh, as play the devil's advocate. And again, I'm not saying that other exotic technologies weren't uh, used. In fact, you know, I showed my audience this uh, today because I want to make it extremely clear that directed energy weapons not only exist. But they're part of that NASA document that I I constantly go to, the Future Strategic Warfare 2025 document. And if you look at this, right, you're actually going to, I'm going to show you a model of one of them. They talk about it being excellent stealth, no plume, affordability, ferocity, reaction time. Notice the survival, survivability, recallability, effectiveness. And they also do so, uh, basically, you would never be able to tell. That's what stealth means. It is mm. extremely cheap. This is actually a model of one of these blast wave accelerators that did exist. And it is a directed energy weapon. And this is a document from July of 2001. Now, again, let's say that that's true. Let's say that that is true. I do not believe by any stretch of the imagination and because of all the evidence that the no planes theory is true. So you poison that directed energy weapon theory out of the gates by saying no planes, either purposefully or, you know, not on purpose. I, I don't quite know. But the other thing is with Judy Wood, you know, I played a video today where she says essentially the day it happened, when she saw the planes hit the towers, she didn't believe they actually hit the towers and thought it was a cartoon. I don't know anybody in the scientific community or otherwise that would have said or thought something like that, uh, especially on the first day. So, so to me, let's say that thing, that has weight. Or let's say they use some type of mini nuclear devices or some other technology we don't know about. Uh, it, it immediately discredits it. And it immediately puts people in a situation where they don't want to look at, like, a fabled enemies that doesn't deal with any of the physical anomalies. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I did fabled enemies, Frank, was because there was so much criticism and so much debunking, uh, you know, trust the science, the authoritative sources say there's no way that the World Trade Center uh, could have been demolished. But then you look at what they say, and again, I stick to what I can prove. They say that there weren't temperatures of more than 1,500 degrees, right? Well, I'm going to show people a physical scan that I did of a article from uh, New York Newsday, September 16, 2001. And if you look right by my head, I'm going to read it for you. Uh, this is a quote from Peter Bukarski, who was heading up all for federal uh, emergency management uh, administration operations in New York. And by the way... They were there the night before because they were running drills. What they're looking at, those items that are being recovered now, are pieces, Bukarski said. Look, this is a 110-story building. We're still at the top levels. You're probably, uh, you probably are going to find body parts or nothing because of the fire, of the blast. When you're talking about temperatures of 2,700 degrees, what do you have? You have a cremation effect. 2,700 Oh, 2,700. So, again, I stick, I'm not speculating there. I'm showing you the head of FEMA in New York confirming what we already knew of temperatures much higher than they've admitted, 
We also have the NASA thermal imagery that shows that. We know that the fires burn for months. I have Giuliani and Pataki on camera talking about 2,000-plus degree temperatures. It's in loose change final cut. All I need that for, on top of all the explosions that happened in the World Trade Center and the eyewitnesses, is saying this thing didn't come down because of jet fuel. You know, I'm not a physicist. I'm not a chemical engineer. I've certainly spoke to many. I know there are a lot of people out there that are critical, for instance, of the thermite theory because um, Stephen, I can't, Stephen Jones, Dr. Stephen Jones from BYU is the proponent of that. And people have pointed out that he worked in cold fusion for the government in the 80s. You know, Stephen Jones said that to us. You know, he obviously couldn't talk about the extension of it because it's a classified government project that's still classified uh, to this day. But look, I'm not buying everything that's out there hook, line, and sinker. But then I see other people um, who, I guess, push directed energy weapons or push Judy Wood attacking those people constantly, right? And I think that the architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 Truth have been a positive influence on, uh, on the whole and are actually trying to get together and get justice. For instance, they're the ones that helped uh, put together not only the Fairbanks, Alaska study, you know, bring that evidence to them and have them look at it, but help produce, uh, Dylan Avery's done two films uh, since on 9-11, one of them called, I believe it's Building 7, it's an hour long, it's great, it's all, it's only about the Fairbanks, Alaska study, and then he did another one recently uh, with Bob McElvain, one of the family members called The Unspeakable, you know, I think they're both really excellent films, and I constantly see Dylan attacked. You know, I, I, I don't even, I don't even love to address it, but it's so, it, it ends up being so much of the responses in my comments and in my threads, and I'm just saying that look, even if she's right about that, she's discredited herself on a crazy level by saying no planes. And to me, she's an insane person. You know, you know what I've never done, Frank. <laughs> I've never decided to get my crazy friend and have them dance around in their underwear with a pumpkin head on <laughs> made a video of it attacking other people and then put it online you know I'm, I'm, a crazy I, thing to do I, I mean I'm with you and I'm with you on, on, on a few things here number one I've seen the presentations about ho- holographic planes I've seen them all I've seen the and when I watch this stuff there are some things that I kind of roll my eyes at on a number of topics, and then there's other things that I go, that's really interesting there. And then I and then I have to I balance it out with other things. Like I have friends who saw they they told they told me I, I have one guy one friend who saw a plane hit the Pentagon. He actually he said he said Frank it was not a missile. He was in the military. Uh, and and not, we're not talking about like a large, a company guy. We're just some you know he was in the area. He saw the impact. And then I have a number of of friends and their parents who saw both. Mo- a lot more people saw the second impact uh, uh, in the in uh, in Manhattan because all eyes were in the sky at that point. But saw both planes hit, especially some of our friends who had offices and high rises and in New York and they had a sprawling view of the city and when I have that I, I it's like incumbent upon you if you if you watch the things on the internet and you talk then you talk to people who were there at the time physically it's suddenly incumbent upon you to tell them they did not see it and I just I I just listen that's why I take a stance a standpoint of just listening 
scribbling away little notes in the back of my head and hopefully in five to ten years things make more and more sense and I can start whittling away at at, at the uh, at the the fat here but um, that it's it's well, just let's talk about the Pentagon for a second because that was a big change from the second edition to the final cut and, that, and one of the reasons for that was not only the criticism but suddenly we had um, the economic means to go down to DC and start talking to people that said that they had witnessed the plane hitting the building other people like Bob Pugh, who were the first on the scene, um, who got the video footage before the front end of the Pentagon collapses. Uh, we talked to April Gallup, who came out the front end of the supposed impact hole. Some people would go on camera, some people wouldn't. Uh, one of the local news anchors that was in um, Loose Change Second Edition wouldn't go on camera. We, we went and had dinner with him and others. So, again, it's, it's one of those things... I don't want to be too definitive on things that I can't prove. But when we look at the World Trade Center, I can prove that the temperatures are much higher than the official version would have you believe. And I can prove that explosions went off in the lower levels prior to that. I, I hate telling somebody, especially an eyewitness, no, you didn't see that, especially because I don't know. I wasn't standing right next to them, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I know that that that's the, the the big thing. And and despite having that one friend of mine who saw it at the Pentagon, that doesn't change for me. A, it's very convenient that one of the more secure, most secure facilities in the entire planet only has three frames of what hit it released. No, no gas station video, nothing. So that doesn't work for me. Uh, the wingspan of the plane, nothing about the actual physical makeup of the plane does not look like it made that hole. And, and of course, as James Corbett and so many other great people have pointed out, that the supposed hijacker, the pilot of that plane that had to do this gigantic 8,000-foot 8, 8, descending uh, corkscrew that gets you, that lands you uh, level with the ground, like 10 feet off the ground, this guy supposedly, according to his flight instructor in Arizona or wherever it was, couldn't even get a Cessna off the ground. So I, I, I wonder, I just wonder what it, what it is, but it, it's, I think it's the details and it's the thing, it's the, the problem that we never have disclosure or any kind of open dialogue and that there's obviously something fishy going around that as we're always trying to figure out what may have been done to us and against us, it was an act of war. All of this is acts of war. I mean, it, there's, there's nothing about this that isn't terrorism. Uh, It's a look at the world that they created and continue to create. Um, And and as you said, this is a stepping stone and a long line of attacks to form the world that they have been looking to do for probably hundreds of years. 2020 and COVID and everything, all the social constrictions and economic constrictions, it's all a part of 9-11. It's all a part of the same timeline. And um, I I think, like you said, the infighting is one of the more unsavory side effects of us having to figure things out ourselves. Uh, so here's one of my last question I have for you, Jason. Um, I, I get, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you have too. Um, when some people will suggest that we will never be able to evolve as a society or truly awaken until those responsible for September 11th and everything that came after are, are brought to justice. Now I, um, I understand exactly where people are coming from on this. Uh, I, I have a problem hedging all of our chances of ascendancy or a, clo- a slow climb out of the darkness on the condition that any group 
on the, on the earth will face earthly justice. I feel like we're going to have to take some kind of a, a haircut at some point if we are going to take a leap. Um, there's just so much. 9-11 is, is only a slice of the conspiracy pie. What do you think about our uh, of the, the whole idea of needing closure and uh, to be able to take that next leap as a species? It's tough, man, because I, you know, like you just said, I don't know that we're ever going to get justice on this earthly plane. I would remind people that you could go back to prior to World War II, but let's go to World War II and realize we already we still have 600 million. That's 600 million. Or was it? Is it six? It might actually be 600 million. Yeah, almost half, over half a billion documents that are classified regarding the Nazis and Operation Paperclip alone. Um, did people see justice? after Iran-Contra? Did people involved in MKUltra see justice? Did those who carried out the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and MLK see justice? You know, some people will say, well, Iran-Contra, they got a few people. Yeah, and most of them got pardoned. And the main guy that they rolled out into the media was Oliver North, who's got his own radio show and is writing books. So when you get to 9-11, you know, is it any surprise that a guy like Dick Cheney is still rolling around making hundreds of millions of dollars with a fake heart? I don't think it is. It's unfortunate. I want to believe one day we're going to get some justice. But even when you look at Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, we're always getting a limited form, and those aren't the people at the top. So I'd certainly like to encourage people to continue in every way, shape, and form that they can to try to bring the truth to light and hold those accountable. That's why earlier in the week I had um, not only Richard Gage on, uh, but Barbara Oniger and one of the lawyers that is still trying to get standing so that people will actually look at the evidence that we were lied to about 9-11 and there should be a, a real criminal investigation. Um, I, I'd say you got to get your own life right. You got to be honest with yourself. You got to have discernment. You got to fight for justice. And there will be plenty of upcoming battles that are just as important as 9-11, but we can never ignore the significance that our entire foreign and domestic policy has been based on the lies of 9-11 that has allowed the military-industrial complex to grow by leaps and bounds through things like the Patriot Act, Homeland Security, Fusion Centers, the Five Eyes Alliance, and Signature Reduction a program most people don't know about. And I actually uh, wrote an article. People can go read it over at rcreader.com on all of this subject matter and broke it down piece by piece because it is important, but I don't think that we can uh, expect that we're going to have some kind of superhero moment and actually get the prosecutions and punishments we need. Mm. Well, I, you know, it's, as you were saying before when you were discussing how everything really started to come together with loose change, that uh, you, you prayed to God and that you're not particularly religious. Well, I'm becoming a little bit more religious in my older age, and I do believe that justice does come one way or another, which I take a little bit of, I take a little bit of um, I don't know, refuge in. Because aside from that, here on Earth, de- depending on whether or no, I mean, if we're not around to see the, uh, the money shot, then we are definitely going to be around to set the table for other generations to hopefully continue the work. And anything can change the tide. And 
whether people face justice on earth or not, it just doesn't matter as long as the education and the history and the information survives. Because no matter how the, the table is cleared and the chessboard is cleared ready for a new game, as long as the information survives, then there is going to be a future generation who looks back and rightfully applies the blame, rightfully assigns who the, the, the devils were and who the uh, patriots were. And, and that's what I think we need to not rook ourselves of a chance at that kind of redemption just because we are playing the game in a certain phase of it. And um, thank you so much for being a part of that, uh, Jason. It's really great to have you on again. And now I'm excited as, as ever to watch Loose Chains after the show concludes. Anything else you want to leave us with? I just want to say this, man. No matter what, good and evil absolutely exist. I believe this is the battle for humanity. And whether we win on this earthly plane or not, there is some kind of force in the in the universe. And you want to be on the side of good. You, you don't want to bend the knee. You, want, you don't want to go along to get along. You don't want to act like it's okay. Um, but at the same time, you can't beat yourself up when we don't have, I guess you would say, uh, earthly or worldly victories. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, you, you continue all the great work you do, and, of course, I'll be in touch at some point, and we'll bring you back on again in the fall. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Have a good one. There is another great show bubbling, bubbling beneath our feet. How do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? How do you like that? So, Loose Change will be premiere, well, premiering on our on our network. Last night we did Fabled Enemies uh, during Frank's Picks. Great, great Sunday night lineup last night. If you haven't been watching the Sunday night programming, it's great. You just sit back around 9 p.m. Eastern time, and I take care of everything. I take care of everything. You just get fed just great things that I've been watching. That's why it's called Frank's Picks. And tonight is Mystery Movie Monday, but it's not a mystery tonight. So we're going to take a really quick break here. Uh, actually, it's going to be a little bit longer than a quick break because uh, I want to do a bonus thread with you. When we come back, we're going to have the newest blog post on, quite frankly, TV about 9-11 gold. Gold. Very quick read, but an awesome read by, quite frankly, writer John Carroll. But first, five minutes by James Corbett. You need to hear if you haven't already or if you haven't already in a long time. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. On the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world using a satellite phone and a laptop directed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world. Overpowering the passengers and the military combat trained pilots on four commercial aircraft before flying those planes wildly off course for over an hour without being molested by a single fighter interceptor. These 19 hijackers, devout religious fundamentalists who like to drink alcohol, snort cocaine and live with pink-haired strippers, managed to knock down three buildings with two planes in New York. While in Washington, a pilot who couldn't handle a single-engine Cessna was able to fly a 757 in an 8,000-foot descending 270-degree corkscrew turn to come exactly level with the ground hitting the Pentagon in the Budget Analyst Office where DOD staffers were working on the mystery of the $2.3 trillion that Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had announced missing from the Pentagon's coffers in a press conference the day before, on September 10, 2001. Luckily, the news anchors knew who did it within minutes. Osama bin Laden. 
The pundits knew within hours. Osama bin Laden. The administration knew within the day. Terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbored them. And the evidence literally fell into the FBI's lap. That a hijacker's passport was found blocks from the World Trade Center crash site, if you can believe that. But for some reason, a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists demanded an investigation into the greatest attack on American soil in history. That investigation was delayed, underfunded, set up to fail, a conflict of interest, and a cover-up from start to finish. It was based on testimony extracted through torture, the records of which were destroyed. It failed to mention the existence of WTC-7, Able Danger, P-Tech, Sibel Edmonds, OBL and the CIA, and the drills of hijacked aircraft being flown into buildings that were being simulated at the precise same time that those events were actually happening. It was lied to by the Pentagon, the CIA, the Bush administration, and as for Bush and Cheney, well, no one knows what they told it because they testified in secret, off the record, not under oath, and behind closed doors. It didn't bother to look at who funded the attacks because that question is ultimately of little practical significance. Still, the 9-11 Commission did brilliantly answering all of the questions the public had, except most of the victim's family members' questions, and pinned blame on all the people responsible, although no one so much as lost their job, determining the attacks were failure of imagination because Nobody in our government at least, and I don't think the prior government that could envision flying airplanes into buildings. Except the Pentagon, FEMA, NORAD, and the NRO. The DIA destroyed 2.5 terabytes of data on Able Danger, but that's okay because it probably wasn't important. The SEC destroyed their records on the investigation into the insider trading before the attacks, but that's okay because destroying the records of the largest investigation in SEC history is just part of routine record keeping. NIST has classified the data that they used for their model of WTC-7's collapse, but that's okay because knowing how they made their model of the collapse would jeopardize public safety. The FBI has argued that all material related to their investigation of 9-11 should be kept secret from the public, but that's okay because the FBI probably has nothing to hide. This man never existed, nor is anything he had to say worthy of your attention, and if you say otherwise, you are a paranoid conspiracy theorist and deserve to be shunned by all of humanity. Likewise him, 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 and her. And her, and her, and him. Osama bin Laden lived in a cave fortress in the hills of Afghanistan, but somehow got away. Then he was hiding out in Tora Bora, but somehow got away. Then he lived in Abbottabad for years, taunting the most comprehensive intelligence dragnet employing the most sophisticated technology in the history of the world for a decade, releasing video after video with complete impunity and getting younger and younger as he did so, before finally being found in a daring SEAL team raid which wasn't recorded on video, in which he didn't resist or use his wife as a human shield, and in which these crack special forces operatives panicked and killed this unarmed man, supposedly the best source of intelligence about those dastardly terrorists on the entire planet. Then they dumped his body in the ocean before telling anyone about it. Then a couple dozen of that team's members died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. This is the story of 9-11, brought to you by the media which told you the hard truths about His head could be seen to move violently forward. And They took the babies out of incubators. And Mobile production facilities. And The rescue of Jessica Lynch. If you have any questions about this story, you are a batshit, paranoid, tinfoil, dog-abusing baby hater, and will be reviled by everyone. If you love your country and or freedom, happiness, rainbows, rock and roll, puppy dogs, apple pie, and your grandma, you will never ever express doubts about any part of this story to anyone. Ever. This has been a public service announcement by the friends of the FBI, CIA, NSA, DIA, SEC, MSM, White House, NIST, and the 9-11 Commission. Because ignorance is strength. We'll be right back.
Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? got a great great audience on rumble tonight a lot of people who were jumping off of youtube went there happy to see that we got a great audience on quite frankly.tv powered by a recently facelifted and enhanced foxhole pilled.net theta is working tonight happy to see that twitch nice and strong and um and rockfin Rockfin, really, really nice-looking people on Rockfin tonight. And Jason Burmis is a is a heavy hitter on Rockfin. Actually, on Rockfin, Lapsus Beef Tech left me a tip and said, Smarmy, that's a great word, Frank. It's a fantastic word. If you learn how to use it well, Smarmy is just so satisfying. Satisfied? Uh, let's go to our super chat, shall we? Quite frankly, superchat.com. Mark Swan, an hour ago, says, I always think of Hillary Clinton when I think of WAP. Ugh. You know, it's always moist. Terrible. That's a terrible thing for you to say to me right now. Mark? Just awful. Uh, okay, let's see here. And then all this is from... Okay, cool. That's all from when we were talking to Andy Bashago. Over here on Rumble, Selling the Farms is, quite frankly, is such a great wake-up show and truth entertainment. Share it with all. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no better way to help this show grow than to share it with all. Yes. I mean, I'm going to try my damnedest to make sure that we can grow on places like Rumble. You know, um, Rumble right now is experiencing massive organic growth. So I'm just going to, I'm making investments in time everywhere I can because nobody's going to help us. And when we do get help and we do get a pat on the shoulder and a shot in the arm, it feels amazing because I love, I love supporting people and it's good to be supported. Um, but um, there's always time and there's always a need to come up with more. 
Let's see here. Spud Hill says, Frank, your show is the only one that I don't want to miss. Your intermission. Love you. Well, thank you. I always want the intermission to be good. That's why we change it every month. And I want to start peppering things on either side of it so that people are a little bit less inclined to walk away. Although, if you have to take a bathroom break, I understand. I can't tell you how many times I've peed in my pants here because I can't take a bathroom bathroom break. You don't want to sit on this chair. Just kidding. I've never done that. You know because I play a music video and I walk out the door when I have to pee. Born Deplorable says, For being so bold to wear white, uh, uh, white pants after Labor Day. Well, thank you. Thank you. I don't have that much white, that many white pants. I do have white t-shirts. Thank you, Born Deplorable. Wonderful of you. Jay Bell says, cheers. Cheers to you. Delona, 55. Captain Cast Iron. Zoso Dude says, no afraid to speculate. There's tons of evidence for no planes. Don't know for sure. I wasn't there. Well, there you go. Hey, people, people gravitate to their favorites. Uh, the, the only problem is that is, has it become a favorite theory of yours or does it make most consistent sense with everything else? I mean, like I said before, I can't tell personal friends of mine who are of sound mind and saw it happen that they didn't see that it is pretty much MK Ultra TV induced memory. I can't tell them that. And I, you would be okay with that? Well, you don't know. They don't mean anything to you. You don't know them. So it, it should at least give you pause. Because remember, it doesn't detract from the overall. It doesn't detract what was done, the lives that were lost, and how this was used in the greater timeline. So to get stuck on points like that instead of yeah, taking note of some things along the way and seeing what fits best and maybe just don't get rigid. Rigid is counterproductive for all things. Um, that's what I, I try to tell myself. You can take it or leave it. Don't want to be uh, didactic here. Let's see. Squickly says, if a building falls in the middle of the city and no one is around to see it, did it really happen? Well, when someone finally gets to the city... And they see a gigantic pile of 3,000 degree burning metal. I think most people would say, this thing just fell. The question is why? But before we can get down to investigating this, somebody better cart off all of the debris and send it to Europe so it could be turned into a battleship or whatever the hell happened. Swickly, thank you so much. Delona, an EMP. Oh, my word. Dropped an EMP on us. Thank you so much, Delona. Thank you, everybody, for your, your support over there. Okay, it's 846, so that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to cut out all the other fun stuff that I wanted to do with Glenn Greenwald again. It's not like censorship is going away. Don't worry. We'll get there. Uh, and I want to jump into a brand new quite frankly blog post that is up there on quite frankly.tv that you all can enjoy on your own time and it's by John Carroll here it is 
It's called the Golden Cover-Up. This is something that we've been wanting to talk about for a long time, and I know that we had a listener out there who called in two years in a row on irrelevant nights to bring up the fact that they had information or some kind of some kind of experience with gold or something related to the theories of gold being stored under the World Trade Center. Anyway, we finally did a little something to broach the subject. Maybe we add on to it in the coming years. The Golden Cover-Up, it's called. It's no secret to the, quite frankly, audience that 9-11 was an inside job. Mountains of evidence proved not only the crime, but a conspiracy to create a new order out of the manufactured chaos. The future 9-11 created is obvious for all to see, but a closer look at the history which led up to that fateful morning leads to a stunning revelation. That one of the all-time greatest cover-ups of a crime was literally a cover-up of countless other crimes. The financial aspect of 9-11 was allegedly, allegedly motivated to conceal a shadow global financial system. The heart of this system is known as the Black Eagle Trust, a gold-backed gold slush fund which operates completely outside the oversight of national legislatures and regulatory agencies. A 2008 paper titled Collateral Damage, U.S. Covert Operations and the Terrorist Attacks on September 11, 2001 by E.P. Hidner is the culmination of six years of research into this subject. Readers are encouraged to examine the original paper, including 16 pages of footnotes, which can be found here, and we link it for you. What follows is a summary of the paper's key findings. What follows is a picture of William Shakespeare, Francis Drake, and it says, Have more than you show, speak less than you know. The story begins during the waning days of World War II as Allied forces sought to gain strategic advantage in the coming Cold War. In addition to scientists and engineers, Operation Paperclip also offered asylum to German military officers who disclosed the locations of secret bunkers filled with gold. The name Black Eagle Trust comes from the Black Eagle stamp found on the gold bars of the Nazi government. The European loot, however, would pale in comparison to what was found in the Pacific. After decades of conquest and plunder in China and Southeast Asia, evidence suggests Japan accumulated the largest hoard of gold in human history. It exceeded 280,000 tons, slightly more than the entirety of the world's official gold holdings. As their fortunes in the war soared, the uh, oh, soured, I'm sorry, as their fortunes in the war soured, the Japanese high command determined that the gold should be consolidated and hidden away in the Philippines under the command of General uh, uh, Tomoyuki uh, Yamashita due to the U.S. submarine blockade of Japan itself. Rumor of the stolen treasure eventually reached the Americans, and the task to recover it was quietly undertaken by Edward Lansdale, an intelligence officer under General Douglas MacArthur, after the war, Lansdale found and tortured Yamashita's driver until he created maps leading to the gold. The operation was a success and set a precedent for America's barbaric way of conducting espionage going forward. Lansdale continued to blaze the trail, forming the CIA's relationships with Mossad and America's mafia families, and proposing a false flag operation to kill innocent American citizens and pin blame on Fidel Castro, known as Operation Northwoods. Oh, well, well. 
The existence of what came to be known as Yamashita's gold first entered mainstream consciousness in 1988, when a Filipino treasure hunter named Rogel, uh, Rogelio Roxas sued the former president of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos, in a Hawaiian court. Roxas claimed to have found a portion of the gold which Marcos seized before sending him to prison for a year. The court initially awarded $43 billion to Roxas in what is still the largest civil lawsuit in American history. Of course, by that time, much of the gold had already been moved and was, and was serving as the foundation of a new financial system behind the scenes. Once Lansdale's Lansdale's information was confirmed, the Truman administration decided to keep the gold a secret, in part to preserve a relative stability of 1944 Bretton Woods Agreement. Secretary of War Henry Stimson came up with the idea of creating the Black Eagle Trust to fund anti-communist efforts around the world, and William Donovan of the newly created CIA became the point man for distributing the gold to domestic and international banks. In total, the gold, the gold ended up being held in over 170 banks in 42 countries. So I guess that's part of the initial deposit for starting Gladio, and probably some of the things that we deposited at the Vatican Bank so there's probably Nazi-stamped gold somewhere in Rome, in a bunker somewhere. The fingerprints of the Black Eagle Trust can be found on countless covert operations from the Bay of Pigs to Iran-Contra and every assassination in between. But the granddaddy of them all was the takedown of the USSR, known as Project Hammer. According to eight sources cited by Hedner, on September 11, 1991, President George H.W. Bush used the trust to secretly issue $240 billion in bonds, which funded an economic blitzkrieg to end the Cold War. Project Hammer consisted of the following four major covert operations. Number one, theft of the Soviet Treasury. Number two, currency destabilization of the ruble. Number three, funding the KGB General's August 1991 coup against Gorbachev. And number four, takeover of key energy and defense industries in the Soviet Union. The coup attempt was an embarrassing failure, but it notably resulted in the assassination of Robert Maxwell, father of now infamous Ghislaine Maxwell, who operated as a middleman between the CIA, Mossad, and the traitorous element of the KGB. On the other hand, the financial and economic schemes worked brilliantly. The Soviet economy collapsed and the political apparatus of the USSR was forced to dissolve. The conspirators behind Project Hammer achieved a tremendous victory in 1991, but they still faced two significant dangers. First, everything that they had just done was highly illegal, and investigations were launched to figure out what happened. It was easy enough for the U.S. government to ignore calls for transparency on the international stage, but its own officers of naval intelligence also began to follow the money. Second, the bonds which enabled the operation still needed to be settled, and as part of the normal settlement process, the parties involved in the bonds would need to be publicly identified. The bonds were set to mature 10 years after they were issued, and that had to be settled no later than September 12, 2001. Just 24 hours before that deadline, those two birds would be killed with one stone. 
The attacks on 9-11 weren't just targeted at specific buildings, but at specific offices within those buildings. The primary targets in the World Trade Center seem to have been Cantor Fitzgerald in Tower 1 and Eurobrokers in Tower 2. Both companies were responsible for managing U.S. government securities, and each plane struck just below their offices, which were incarcerated well before the towers collapsed. Any certificates for bonds stored in the basement were also destroyed. The section of the Pentagon, which was struck, had been under construction for two years and was almost completely unoccupied except for the, Naval of, uh, the Office of Naval Intelligence, Intelligence, which was moved there about a month earlier. Later that afternoon, the Federal Reserve and the Securities and Exchange Commission declared an emergency for the first time in their history, even though their systems were unharmed in the attacks. Under these emergency protocols, many of the rules governing trades and settlements were suspended for two weeks to keep businesses operating. For this short period, it was possible to substitute the illegal securities for valid government securities and to do so without reporting identity of ownership because the offices of the primary securities brokers had been wiped out. Not only did the holders of the bonds not get caught for their role in Project Hammer, but they actually got paid off legitimately. And because the investigators on their trail were also neutralized, they have still, they have still gotten away with it to this day. The information above barely scratches the surface of the evidence presented in Heidner's paper, which lays out step-by-step how these crimes were committed. This blog post is intended to merely relay the basic narrative in layman's terms in order to facilitate further questions and discussion. The crimes were so complicated and so precise that reading the full paper makes it seem uh, as though the cover-up of the Black Eagle Trust's existence was the primary motive for staging the attacks. When this piece of puzzle, of the puzzle, is combined with everything else that's been exposed over the years, the scope of the conspiracy becomes absolutely mind-boggling. It was a massive show of force by powers that be. It took almost 20 years for the world to have the chance to witness another operation of that size. It's been said many times, and quite frankly, that living through the COVID pandemic was like living through 9-11 in slow motion. Amen, John Carroll. John Carroll listens to what I say. That slow motion gave us the time to realize that what was actually being done to us, the worst crime of the last two years, wasn't the mask mandates, the lockdowns, or even the death. Rather, it was the brainwashing meant to cripple the human spirit. In hindsight, and with more recent experiences, we can understand how 9-11 did the same thing. 9-11 shattered not only our innocence, but our perception of reality. It created a world so threatening that endless war and mass surveillance became perceived as the only path to peace and safety. That phenomenon is too often used to discourage us when it should actually be our greatest source of hope. The real lesson at the bottom of 9-11 rabbit hole is that it is not only possible, but relatively easy to get the whole world to do something. 9-11 9-11 proved that the power to manually create a new, a new reality exists, and when enough people realize it, that power can finally be used for good. How do you like that? That is called the Golden Cover-Up. It's on QuiteFrankly.tv on the blog. And um, without further ado, because it is 8.59, and I want to be completely on time tonight, I want to invite you all to go over to quitefrankly.tv and to enjoy another night of mystery movies, which is not really a mystery. We're going to be watching Loose Change, and after that, God knows what other things Abe and Josh and Cody are going to throw at you. It's always a good t- 
good time. And, um, and yes, you are much, much appreciated. So, uh, with that being all, I'm going to take myself down to the, the street level and get the hell out of here. All right? Well, thank you guys and gals. We will see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Plenty more to do. We got Frank Pellegrino and Chrissy Mayer coming in studio. Get to quitefrankly.tv. Enjoy your night. I will be in that chat room before you know it. Good evening. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with Mark Swan, Lapsus Beef Tech, and a whole bunch of great people that are on the uh, the foxhole, including Selling the Farm and Spud Hill on Rumble. Thank you guys and gals for all of your company tonight. I will see you soon. Open up a browser tab to quitefrankly.tv and simply press play in about, you know, a couple minutes, a couple seconds. You can get into the chat room and just wait. Then, yeah, I'm getting off now. Goodbye.